Hello, friends. Lovely to be with you. Trust that as we gather today, that you'll sense the Lord's presence and we will enjoy each other's company. Before we jump into this weekend's talk, I just want to make a quick comment. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor James referenced the fact that on Sunday mornings, we're actually starting to feel a bit of a pinch in terms of the number of people who are attending. And one of the ways that that is showing itself is in our parking and being able to have enough places for people. Sometimes when we have new folks show up, they may not get here early, and if it's difficult for them to find parking, that becomes a bit of a challenge. So he had asked that some of us that attend on Sunday morning might make the shift to Saturday night, and we would just like to encourage you to think about that, and if that could work for you, that would be very helpful for us. Some have already done that, and we just appreciate that. In habit, we've talked about some things that you would have expected. Habits are hard. It takes work. We talked about praying and that idea that perhaps several times a day, down on our knees, praying, talking to Jesus. And then there was this idea of getting into the Word and even the challenge that, you know, no Bible, no phone. Make it first a priority. So we've talked about prayer, we've talked about the word, and now let's eat. Right? It's kind of interesting. And yet, it's really a solid biblical theme, and it speaks to some of the things that we have been talking about more recently. Trends to loneliness. The isolation that so many people have felt through the pandemic. The isolation of an aging population. More people living alone. The list goes on and on. And when it comes to eating, there's a lot that comes to mind and a variety of ways that we could have talked about this and habits that we could have spoken into. We've already mentioned that we're going to spend a fair bit of our time today talking about this idea of how we connect over food. But before we do that, I thought it would be good to still just think for a little bit about the physical aspects of eating. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got about food was simple. Eat real food. Well, it seems simple. It's a bit of a funny statement, but in reality, it's relevant and something that requires some focus. Some of us have not taken on that Line, we've actually followed Mark Twain's advice about eating when he said, part of the secret of a successful life is to eat what you like and let the food fight it out on the inside. (laughs) Some of you have tried that. How'd that work for you? (laughs) The body is an interesting thing. The Bible says that our bodies are actually a temple. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, it says this, Do you you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. See, it makes sense 
that if we take this life that God has given us seriously and the body that he has created for us seriously, that we will also think about what we put in it. What kind of food will we eat? What kind of food should we eat? Eat real food is actually quite a bit trickier than it sounds, especially in this age of highly processed, highly manufactured products that we've just come to take for granted as being food. But are they? Are they real food? We've all heard the phrase that you are what you eat. It's true. There's a comment. I wasn't able to figure out who said it, but it rang true, especially as I was thinking about this. You are what you eat. So don't eat fast, cheap, easy, or fake. (laughs) Let me say that one again. You are what you eat, so don't be fast, cheap, easy, or fake. I actually love Jimmy Fallon's remarks about food. One of them was particularly relevant for today. He said, thank you, horseradish, for being neither a radish nor a horse. (laughs) He said, what you are, you're liar food. Liar food. The truth is that a lot of the food in our Western context is just that. It's liar food. And if you look at the list of ingredients in most processed food, it reads more like a science experiment than a description of food. And we can easily get drawn into habits of eating food that is attractive, fast, cheap, and yet maybe not that healthy. One author said it this way, it's easy to eat poorly. Well, let's look at the Canada Food Guide for a minute. Get some guidance on this. If you go to their website and the first page comes up, it's a picture of a plate. And on that plate, one half of the plate is fruit and vegetables. The other half is divided in half. Part of it, half of it's whole grains, and the other half is protein. And then it goes to say something that, ah, there was some conversation about this a few weeks back. Pastor James was being given some pressure that he should drink more water. You remember, if you were here, it suggests that we make water our drink of choice. They caution us to be careful about foods that are high in sodium, sugar, certain fats. And the good news is that the labeling on food products can help us when it comes to being more careful with what we eat. And developing a habit of being intentional around this can be helpful. Labels, I struggle with labels a bit because I don't actually know what it means. And so I'll look at it and I'll say, okay, sugar, and it'll give me a number. And I'll go, I don't know. So I was watching a video by a dietitian from a university in the States, and she said, I'm going to make this really simple for you. That number on the can of pop... Let's see what that means. And she counted out sugar cubes. 16 or 17 sugar cubes in a can of pop. So that can of pop, you just... Right? Just keep going. And then you shake it up. (sighs) Now, if you're into energy drinks, it gets worse. 22 cubes, and a whole pile of caffeine. What? Huh? Right? No wonder we're a little wound up. Right? 22 cubes of sugar and a whole pile of caffeine. That's going to get you a little excited. 
They also talk about something that has become a bit, uh, it's everywhere, high fructose corn syrup. And they say, yeah, you, know, you should really stay away from that. <laughs> Easier said than done. You start looking at the labels, it's everywhere. So you gotta really work at trying to figure out what you're gonna do with that. Salt's another one. So they say that 77% of our typical diet comes from processed foods. 77% of the salt in your typical diet comes from processed foods. So I was looking at a can of soup. Looked good. Make a can of soup, have a grilled cheese sandwich, a little bowl of soup, little bowl of soup, one third of my daily salt intake. If I get excited and decide it's, oh, it's a day for two bowls of soup and another grilled cheese sandwich, we're at two thirds now, just like that. So it's trying to figure out how are we gonna deal with this. Fats, I think most of us get the fact that we're supposed to stay away from saturated fats and that trans fats, this much, zero. So the key to eating healthy I like this advice. The key to eating healthy, avoid most foods that have their own TV commercial. <laughs> if you think about it, it works. There's the odd exception, but most of the time, if you just stay away from the stuff that has its own commercial, that'll be good. A really good suggestion is to do most of your grocery shopping around the perimeter of the grocery store. What are the things you find there? Ah, uh, the produce, the bakery, meat and fish, dairy. They're all in the perimeter. And if you go into the center aisles, and you go to the end caps on those aisles, mm, that's where you get all the stuff we're talking about here. All of a sudden, you're into the bulk of highly processed food, the liar food. Now, if you're like me, sometimes you get sucked into those aisles. And then I take all of that stuff home and I sit down and I'm watching TV and you know what I do? I have a snacksident. <laughs> right? I eat a whole pile of stuff I probably shouldn't be eating. Bethany Franco puts it this way. Your diet is a bank account. Good food choices are good investments. So we're going to spend the bulk of our time today thinking about the habits of food as it relates to our relationships. Now, it's not lost on me to, that today's a bad day to be talking about this. <laughs> Most of you this afternoon are going to go to a Super Bowl party, and I suspect that there is not going to be a lot of broccoli consumed. Last night, I heard that hallelujah, yes. Uh, last night after the service, a guy out on Main Street came up to me and said, oh, Pastor Les, that was fantastic. I'm going to start Monday. <laughs> so we, we get what's going on here, right? But it's just something for us to be thinking about. Even though the timing may not be great, I think it's something for us to reflect on. So if we link back to our series on loneliness and this idea, one of our life commitments is connect connecting with God and each other, um, our relational connections, they've really been put to the test in the last few years, haven't they? We've run into isolation, strife, missing milestone experiences, but all kinds of things that have just not worked out that well. That most recent update to the Canada Food Guide did something really interesting. 
Rather than just talk about what food should be eaten and avoided, they also gave some advice on how to eat. We're just going to throw the link up there. You could find it easily enough just by Googling Canada Food Guide, but there's the link for you if you want to take a picture of that or write that down. It'll help you kind of get to that, and it's got some really good and helpful information. But one of the things that they said, in addition to half a plate of fruit and vegetables, quarter plate of whole grains, quarter plate of protein, they also said this, try and eat some meals with others. Canada Food Guide. And that's what they said. They have a whole page on the website that's dedicated to eating with others. And the sections include things like benefits of eating with others, how to eat with others more often, information for families, and information for seniors. Why would they add this in? When the new food guide came out, one article stated this. There's a growing concern that eating solo may contribute to health issues ranging from depression to obesity, especially as growing numbers of Canadians are living and presumably also eating alone. Then it said this, in 2016, single-person households became the most common type of household in the country for the first time since Canada became a country. All of a sudden, more people were living alone than with others. And Dalhousie University did a study of 1,000 people, and they found that almost 67% of the respondents ate breakfast alone, 58% eat lunch alone. A grocery chain did a study and found that more Canadians reportedly eat in solitude and that it's associated with a sense of unhappiness or a lack of well-being. Another study showed how this plays itself out at work. The study found that around two-thirds of the nearly 1,600 people that they surveyed eat lunch alone at work. And nearly half of them eat alone on a daily basis. Canadians, it said, seem to think that taking a meal without family, friends, or colleagues is a new societal norm. Three-quarters of working Canadians see an improvement in their communication with their colleagues when they eat together. 64% agree that eating lunch with colleagues at work makes it more enjoyable. And yet, it seems to be a struggle for us to get this together. Another Canadian grocer launched a campaign called Eat Together, urging people to do this, and I quote, celebrate the power of eating together at a time when the world seems disconnected. Makes sense, doesn't it? I was looking at Psychology Today's website and they had an article on this very thing. And this is what it said. Eating together need not be costly or onerous to experience this infinite grace. Potlucks even have the potential to transform a group of individuals into a community, to strengthen relationships and to provide a common focus. Spending an evening in the presence of others mitigates the despair of loneliness. For the duration of the meal, listen to this, no one exists in isolation. Those gathered around the table are one, one dinner party, one feast, one group. They are seen and they can be heard. It's a powerful statement. What all of these social findings point to is something that the Bible has been teaching all along. The importance of fellowship and that eating together is one of the ways that we can build and strengthen those bonds. So let's think about that for a few minutes. 
when the church began, at its very inception, you would think that some of the most important formative things would have popped up. And in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42, we read a description of what was happening in those early days of the church. Listen to what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs being performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't it interesting that the description of the church at its very inception makes a point of discussing the fact that they regularly ate together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. It's interesting to me that when it talks about that last line, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, this was one of the distinctives of the church that was drawing people to Jesus. Hmm. 1 Peter 4, 7-11, to it says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So in that passage, love each other. We're all going to go, yes, yes, yeah, love each other. We're going to all think about living out our giftedness, yes. Spoken gifts, serving gifts, yes. But don't forget what's tucked away in verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And it's interesting that that verse follows on the heels of, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, Jesus models this for us throughout his ministry. In Luke 7.34, the religious leaders get after him. They're accusing him because he's actually taken this way too far. He's got way too serious about this hospitality thing. And he comes back to them and says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, Here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I don't know how to make you people happy. Then there's Zacchaeus. I like Zacchaeus. But the interesting part of that story is that Jesus invites himself over for dinner. Now, I, I wouldn't start with that. That may not be the first strategy when it comes to this idea of hospitality, but it worked for Jesus. He can get away with that perhaps a bit more than you and I. But I must say, I, I have found it works a fair amount of the time. I've got some really good baking out of that. 
Then there's the disciples after the resurrection. The shore of Galilee. One of the most difficult conversations that they are ever going to experience is about to take place. They failed Jesus. They denied Jesus. They abandoned Jesus. And now they're going to have a talk. And how does Jesus do that? On the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he cooks some breakfast. Come here, guys. Let's eat. It's quite a powerful thing. The disciples on the road to Emmaus. Again, after all of the Easter events have happened, except the resurrection. Or no, actually the resurrection had happened too. They just hadn't figured it out yet, these two. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, they're talking, they're walking, and all of a sudden Jesus comes along and joins the conversation. And it becomes quite intriguing. They enjoy the conversation and they invite him to stay with them. And it's interesting to me that it says in the text that Jesus breaks bread with them. He has a meal with them and then they see who he is. Another significant point at which food comes into play. And then there's the great invitation to relationship with the living God. It's an image that is super powerful. I love it. Revelation 3.20, it says this, Here I am, I stand at the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. This beautiful invitation. It's around the idea of a meal. Now we could highlight many more stories. But I think we get the point. The great commandment. Matthew 22, it says this, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We get the simplicity of this, right? We love God, and we love people. And one of the ways we love people is by serving them. What a beautiful way for us to think about that when it comes to this idea of food. So there's fellowship. So let's talk about the different places and the different ways that this fellowship can kind of flow out through our lives and have an impact on those around us. I think the first is family. It's not that long ago that it was typical of most families that they ate most meals sitting at a table together. Those days seem to have gone by the wayside for many of us most of the time. What would it look like for us to make an intentional decision to at least find some times in the week where we could sit together as a family and share a meal and have conversations and tell stories and catch up and all the things that happen when we slow down and enjoy that beautiful time around the table. I'd like to suggest a couple of things, though. If you're going to do that, no devices, no TV. Because what happens as soon as the device is on the table or the TV is on? The, stopping to- or the talking stops, right? 
We just, we're not visiting anymore. We're observing something. You see this in restaurants all the time. Don and I will be sitting in a restaurant. We'll be having a conversation. And we'll look over. There'll be four people at the table beside us. And every one of them is like this. And I'm like, do you think they're texting each other? <laughs> like, what's going on here? I feel like going over there and saying, you know, you don't have to text each other. You could just look up and talk. I'm not sure how well that would go over, though. But it's this idea that if we get rid of some of those distractions, our heads come up and we begin to have the conversation and enjoy the time together. Friends, think about this. Coming to church prepared to have people come over for lunch after church. That'd be fun, right? You get it all set up. Everything's ready to go. Maybe you prearrange with somebody or maybe... This is fun too. Let's just see who we bump into. Hey, do you want to come over for lunch? Have a wonderful time together. It's lovely. Now, that might be a bit of a stretch. Okay. Hey, do you want to go out for lunch? Let somebody else cook. But enjoy that time together and make it intentional. Small groups. This is a lovely thing for small groups to do. Sharing a meal together can be a rich experience. And it deepens the relationships. In our small group, we have, a, we have a meal every time we meet. It's lovely. We sit around, we talk, we visit, things gear down, and then we go into our time where we're reflecting and praying. It's fantastic. What about with coworkers? You could become a catalyst to sharing meals with those that you work with. <laughs> Recently, Several of us on our staff team were sitting down reflecting on, okay, how can we continue to foster a deeper sense of community here at work for our team? And we were brainstorming and talking, and there were all kinds of good ideas. And then one of the, one of the team just kind of stopped for a second and said, why don't we put the chairs back in the lunchroom? And there was just dead silence. And in my, I don't know what was going on in anybody else's head, but in my head it was, duh. Right? Like those chairs had all gone away during the pandemic. You couldn't sit in a staff room with, you know, a bunch of you having lunch together and stuff like that. And although that level of restriction is now gone, we hadn't actually thought about putting the chairs back in the lunchroom. What a beautiful, beautiful thing to do. And as soon as we did it, there was this rich new energy as people came and connected. They're having lunch together and talking. It was so good to hear the laughter and the buzz in that space again. What about the idea of meals as a way of reaching out to the people around us? Even people who don't know Jesus. Luke 5, 27, it says this, after, Jesus, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. And he says to him, follow me. And Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then, watch verse 29, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Oh, but then there's the religious leaders again. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? I think in Jesus' mind, he's probably going, you just don't get it, do you? But he answered them this way, he says, 
It is not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. A beautiful way for Jesus to engage with a group of people that might not have been thinking about God or their spiritual lives, and yet with him in their presence, all of that was going to change. I think one of the secret ingredients of Alpha is this. I don't know if you've ever experienced Alpha, but it's going on here. It's going on at Southwest. It's going on all over the world, all the time. Tons of people gathering together to think about Jesus, to think about what does it mean to just get curious about my spiritual life. And what's that secret ingredient? They gather around a meal. They sit and they share food together. And conversations begin and relationships are built and then they get into the thoughts and the reflections that will help them come closer to Jesus. What about neighbors? This is a good one. Invite your neighbors over for coffee. Have a meal together. Organize a potluck. Have a block party. There's all kinds of things that you can do. But always do this. Regardless of which of these options you're thinking about, remember to put your guests first. And where do we see that most powerfully demonstrated? Again, it's at a meal. It's the Last Supper. Jesus knowing that everything that was about to unfold gathers with his disciples for a meal and serves them. He puts them first. See, all these activities, they centered around a shared experience. It'll build relationships. It'll enrich the lives of your neighbors as well as your own, your family, your co-workers, all of it. See, when you get to know people, really good things happen. I think about one of our neighbors. She lives by herself, one of that majority, and we go out together for meals. And one of the times when we were out for meals, we discovered something kind of surprising. Her and my wife have the same birthday. I was like, what are the chances of that? Right? But they do. They have the same birthday. And so now we have an annual tradition that on that day, we go pick her up and we go to Denny's for their free birthday breakfast. <laughs> it's lovely. We have a great time together. Again, around food. So as we think about all of this, what's the commitment to this focus on let's eat that God is inviting you into? Maybe it is family. Maybe it's making a plan for which meals you can sit down together and enjoy. Start simple. Just see how it works. Hold off on the devices and the TV and just enjoy some great conversation together. Maybe for you, God's going to speak to you and say, hey, let's, let's invest in fellowship. Let's sit down and pray about who we can connect with over a meal at home or out. Get into the habit of regularly connecting with other people over food. Maybe it's at work. 
Reflect on your week and find a day when you can set aside your work and intentionally connect with your workmates for lunch. Be a catalyst in this. It'll strengthen your work experience and it'll also impact your culture at work in a really positive way. Maybe for you it's the community. Food is such a disarming way to connect with your neighbors. Prayerfully look for opportunities to connect. Who, when, where. This will enliven your community life and also open doors to serve those who live around you. So right now, I want you to just stop and think, which is it for you? Which of these areas of focus could God be calling you to, to act on now? Or if you're the guy from last night, Monday. (laughs) However it works, who, when, where. Now, we'd like to help. Often we put things up on the screen and say, hey, you can text this word to this number on the screen and something really good will happen. You'll get your questions answered. You'll get people to pray for you. Well, we've got a new one. It's on the screen. You can text the word recipes. And our harvest team have put together great recipes that you'll be able to download and use. You don't even have to think of your own recipes. It's fantastic. They're also in the blog. They're in the weekly email. Take advantage of those things. In our bookstore out on Main Street, there's a couple of great books that could really help stretch your thinking on this. The first one is called The Art of Neighboring. I'd encourage you to take and read that book. It will have a profound impact on how you see your calling in the place where you live. The other one is this. I love the title. The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Interesting. Getting real, getting connected with people. There's another way that we think of food, though. There's a profound habit that we gather around food for. It's communion. The opportunity for us to stop and reflect on the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus. The price he paid for us to be brought back into right relationship with God and each other. Today we're going to experience communion Let's eat a little differently than we typically do. And if you're one of the hosts for the tables, you can get up now and go to the place where you're going to be serving. There are tables all around the auditorium. And we're going to ask you in just a moment, when I step down from the platform, to simply get up and go to a table with family or friends and to take communion together. Now, you may decide that you want to go and take the elements and rather than take communion there, you want to, with a group of people, just go back into an area in this auditorium and just have communion there. There will be scriptures and some prompts up on the screen to help lead you in that experience. You can just take a moment and reflect on all that God has done for you and then thank him for his sacrifice as you participate together. If you're gathered online and you're with others, we would encourage you, take communion together. 
then once we've had an opportunity to stop and reflect, to have communion together, the worship team will draw us back together again in worship. Bless you.